friends, uh, I see this coming together of integral psychology and the OM conference as very symbolic. Obviously, it's an attempt to build a bridge, whatever may have been the outer reasons. But uh, how are we going to build the bridge? Because the bridge cannot be built outside by people meeting together. The bridge has to be built within. It's the bridge to be built between the scientist and the yogi in us. Because what we lead, the kind of life we lead, is truly a very disconnected life. Before we come to that, one more point which I really wish to uh, make clear at the very outset. Because when we speak of Shurabindo, there is a tendency when we speak, you know, Shurabindo's thought, Shurabindo is a philosopher, uh, Shurabindo is a visionary. But uh, as the mother has said, what Shurabindo represents in the world's history is not a teaching, not even a revelation, but a mighty action straight from the Supreme. Shurabindo is not a cult, it's not a religion, it's not a teaching, it's an action. So, when sometimes in our enthusiasm or over-enthusiasm, we love to compare because, you know, psychology and science has a lot to do with comparative studies, we forget that it's like comparing a work written by a very expert mountaineer who has scaled each and every peak in the great mountains, and then when he writes a book, with someone who has probably read about the mountains and the climbers or maybe uh, looked at the mighty Kanchanjunga through a telescope or maybe seen a few pictures and made a compilation from all kinds of books on mountaineering. The difference is as vast as that. They are two incomparable things and sometimes I feel uh, it not only does no justice to Sri Aurobindo, it does no justice to anyone also, you know, these are two things on a very different plane. The sun and the candle both are lights, but we know that though they are both lights, there is a world of difference. There is not an iota of doubt about the transition, yes, the theme of today, the great transition, that the supramental is there is a fact, it's a reality. It is an action, it's going on, the force is at work, and I think more and more people are beginning to recognize it. But the, the thing that is yet to be done, the build has been bridged. The point is the build has, the bridge has been built. But what is necessary is to walk the bridge rather than talk the bridge. We talk about the bridge and how it is built and all kinds of things, but we have to walk the bridge. And it's a bridge of fire, and we need feet of fire, a heart of fire, a soul set aflame with the love and aspiration for the great transition. But before we make a transition, it's good to reflect back and look where is our transiting point? What is the starting point of our journey? And it's, it's to say the least, in mother's words, a frightening ignorance. Though we are all very, very knowledgeable people all over the world, I had an occasion when, you know, a doctor next to my chamber in a polyclinic uh, a lady came out with a child and she was looking so depressed. He came to me. She wanted to confirm what the other doctor had said. And she was very, very distraught. So I asked her, what's the matter with you? She said, well, the doctor next door has told me that my son has just about maybe 10 or 15 years to live at the most. I didn't know what to say. I wanted to ask 
does the doctor next door know what's going to happen in his life the very next moment this is the frightful ignorance in which we live and we love to strengthen these bonds of ignorance his life is a blind man's buff a hide and seek all sights he sees and turns to every call he has no certain light by which to walk shivin those lines from savitri meeting himself he thinks it other than he this is our state in which we live a giant ignorance surrounds our lord it's a disconnected life and disconnected at several levels if i were to speak the language of modern psychiatry i would say it's a disconnection at the level of time between our existence at any point and the eternal we are disconnected from that leading to what we may call as the anxiety of annihilation the annihilation anxiety in the level of space we are disconnected between the individual and the universe the individual is disconnected from the universe he tries to somewhere we try to conceptualize and think that all things are one but essentially we are disconnected leading to what we may call in our psychiatric parlance as the separation anxiety this is the primary separation anxiety the kind of disconnectedness there is a disconnection between cause and effect so beautifully shrivinder brings out he waits to weigh the certitude of his acts he waits to see the consequence of his thoughts of his acts he waits to weigh the certitude of his thoughts he knows not which side to turn this is our state in which we live we think this has caused this and it leads to a lot of guilt or sometimes it's reverse but who knows where the cause is today we say well it's the water we drink tomorrow we say it's the bacillus another day we say it's something else but the great chain of cause and effects where does it start and where does it end so there's a third level of disconnection and of course we are disconnected within us we are comfortable with this schizophrenic existence but we are very disconnected in our mind the knowledge thinks of something but will cannot put it into practice we are disconnected at the level of our efforts and the destiny we think this is going to bring this kind of this kind of fruit but what happens in our life is something very very different and this is a common place experience one doesn't have to read a book or you know dwell into big philosophy sometimes it's better not to you know be too philosophical because then we lose contact with real life experience every moment we think this may happen by doing this and the next moment the share markets crash or the car crashes or something else crashes and the whole neat world comes tumbling down and with all our equipments and all our expertise we don't know what's going to happen the next moment this is the frightful ignorance and disconnectedness in which we live while this is our so called normal natural state we have been told there have been reporters who have gone beyond some adventurers wayfarers who have been the great adventurers into the light of an eternal day and they bring reports once in a while it flashes on our screens mind screen that no there is a light there is a certainty there is a truth to know there is a consciousness that mind cannot reach its speech cannot utter its thoughts cannot know yet is the source and origin of all things here yasmin vigyate vigyati sarvam that knowing which all else is known we are told this and we don't know we have heard about it sometimes 
when we hear about it we are very happy something happens to our heart and we kneel down in prayer and raise our hands heavenward but heaven is too high for human hands to reach this light comes not by struggle or by thought so it turns into a religion or at other times most of the time we only end up strengthening the bonds of our ignorance we don't like to know there is a light beyond or oh, what kind of thing let's you know who knows whether there is really a light or not who knows whether there is really a truth or not i should not lose these moorings maybe i am going to lose everything in that process and yet this is the paradox that only who dare to lose all can find the all but it's a, it's a kind of leap which our human consciousness very naturally hesitates so we end up strengthening the bonds of the ego and the bonds of the ignorance and our existence become uh, more more and more ego bound driven by the whiplash of desire and we think we are free beings and it runs the chariot runs chariot of life on the pathways of ignorance to what great destination we know not we strengthen the bonds of ignorance through our medicine we strengthen the bonds of ignorance through our science we strengthen the bonds of ignorance through our art we strengthen the bonds of ignorance through our education we strengthen the bonds of ignorance in our relationships everywhere it's the same thing we talk about these things but the next minute every time i feel pride about you know being this or that uh, about uh, cling every time i cling to the language i speak to the country i come from to my religion to this or that ultimately what am i doing i am ending up strengthening the bond of my ignorance there is a truth in which all these formulas are reconciled there is a greater truth in which all these things find their true and right place that we must seek but instead of that we become very comfortable because that cocoon makes us feel oh there is nothing it's like a blinder no no people talk about it these are crazy people who have been attending om for so many years and we don't know you know what really comes out see we are they are the same people every time that we don't know what change is taking place inside us it's like we see the cocoon and we don't see the emerging butterfly inside we see the seed and we don't see the giant oak that is sleeping inside just waiting to emerge sometimes we even see that the seed is going down oh people said you know yoga will make you feel great and good and happy this fellow is going down but what's going down are the roots this is a very first stage when the roots are solid then the shoots spring up and enter into the light so we keep doing this circle but then there are a few and spiritual history of mankind is a witness of that to whom is shown a road of high escape shubhendu speaks about it an exit is shown a road of hard escape but then he says but escape however high redeems not life life that is left falling and struggling upon earth escape cannot bring the victory and the reign of god this is the problem that we are as if we live in two different hemispheres or our life lives constantly in two different hemispheres about one we can say we are born from the womb of the night and we go back to the womb of night but equally one can say in the words of the great poet who said our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting so this could be another view 
it totally. But even there is a disconnection between that and this. Those who go into that reality say, well, you can come into it. Don't ask us how that links itself to this. There have been, of course, approaches and, uh, you know, people have tried to link it. Uh, we'll not go into that. That's not really the object. At an individual level, pe people have tried it. But by and large, the impression in the common mind is that, well, this is a door through which we enter into the beyond, and that's it. And few try to take that road of hard escape. So where does Shurabindu come in all this? What is it that he has really done? What is the action? Mother speaks about what Shurabindu represents. It's not a new path, just another you know path among many paths. It's an action. What is that action that Shurabindu represents? Instead of those little points through which human souls have escaped into the beyond, he smashes, of course, uh, the mother to whom all our gratitude, she smashes that lid between this, which has been called traditionally in the spiritual parlance as the lower hemisphere, the hemisphere of ignorance, where life is disconnected, and that higher hemisphere where there is total connectedness. We may use the word oneness, we may use the word uh, knowledge will in its highest sense, it doesn't matter. But essentially that lid has been smashed. And with the smashing of that lid, there is the great descent. This is the action of Shurabindo. And this bridge has already been built. What we have to do from our side is to facilitate or collaborate in that great transition. The great transition is happening in everyone's heart and parts of us are resisting, parts of us are opening, that's the difference. We have to facilitate this great transition. And this great transition cannot be done by the powers of the mind. This is one thing which we have to understand very, very clearly. This light comes not by struggle nor by thought. In the mind silence, the transcendent acts, and the hushed heart hears the unuttered word. A power that lives upon the heights must act, and bring into life's closed room the immortal's air and invade the finite with the infinite. That is where we must turn to. A vast surrender was its only strength. In fact, if we look at scientifically the entire evolution of species, we see that the next leap comes always by a subordination of the very power of the previous species. Life begins to climb in plant by subordinating the power of matter to endure eternally. Matter is something which can always endure. There is, we, we don't talk of death of matter, though at some level we do talk of because, well, it's a universal principle, but we don't talk about it. Matter has a great capacity to endure. Yet, this great capacity, the greatest capacity of matter is to endure. When that is subordinated, life begins to climb in it and burst out of it. The capacity of life in a plant to draw nourishment from matter, from the very roots of earth, has to be lost so that the beast can run freely, can crawl, can swim. It loses the capacity to draw directly from the earth. It has to rely on other kinds of plant life. That capacity of plant to directly draw energy from the earth is taken away. And there is another kind of dependence which develops, but yet that is evolution. The fish has to lose their gills to begin to crawl and the reptiles, its many, many legs on, through which it so swiftly glides and runs, 
it has to lose the pride of those legs, hundred legs, so many legs we really don't know, to be able to fly. And the birds have to lose their wings to be able to run on the plains of Africa. And the beast has to lose his tremendous vitality to be able to think. Man thinks, but yet in terms of vitality, man is by and large much inferior to the lion, the monkey, the horse, the elephant. We stand nowhere. And that is subordinated for thought to spring up. And by logical extension, the mother talks about it in, in, in the journey from man to superman, the road that man has to take. By logical extension, man must learn to subordinate his capacity to reason out, to analyze that on which he takes so much pride today to be able to make the great transition from manhood to supermanhood. This is a fundamental necessity. This is the process. This is the whole process which is taking place throughout. And man and, and the process from man to the next transition is not going to be any different. It cannot be done by thought and analysis, though thought and analysis can become instruments of that great design once the light comes. That's a different matter altogether. One has to learn to quieten the mind. The more the mind becomes quiet, the more the heart becomes still, the more the will stops straining and striving towards a hundred thousand things restlessly, the more and more the influx of a greater light and power of a greater love begins to pour into the human vessel and mold it. This vessel has to be prepared for that great transition. And the first step in that preparation is to abandon the pride of the intellect. Not to abandon the intellect. Mother Shivinda, don't talk about that. Sometimes we just think we just drop the mind. By dropping the mind, we may leap into a glad abyss. Because it's a glad abyss, it's like an, you know, animals don't have mind and we think, oh, mind has to be abandoned. It's not mind has to be abandoned, it's the pride of the mind that it can arrive at truth. Mind must learn, just as in human beings, life forces learn to subordinate itself to the mind. That, well, it's not, the pride of life has been taken away by the pride of mind. So that is the first step. And second step is the life from being ego-centered, Desire-driven has to become a life which is centered around the true soul, the true individual in us. What is that true soul? Because often, you know, it's very simple to understand that in us, which in spite of all the uh, anomalies of life, yet believes that we are immortal. Something in us believes. Otherwise, it's absolutely illogical why human beings, despite all their problems and difficulties, would love to carry on. And I remember an incidence in Bangalore when every morning I used to go to Shirobindo Center. We used to go around 5.30 to clean up the place and set up the samadhi. And every morning I would see, even on a winter uh, morning when it's really chilly, there was a leper by the side of a tree and he would, you know, um, he's really in a bad shape. And day after day, he would be there. And I used to wonder, what is this force of life inside? He doesn't want to give up. Of course, few people give up. But even they give up because they think there is something better. And as they say, as every psychiatrist knows, it's that ambivalence, which is the crucial thing about 
suicidal behavior because it is there men forget to die these are shobindo's words because it is there instinctively we feel that's why we do what we do that's why there is this constant aspiration for something true something beautiful something good to happen that's why we feel sad when we have the twin tower tragedies that's why we feel sad when there are wars and calamities because something in us feels that there should be peace something in us believes in the beauty of life that's why when people are not according to our expectations we feel oh nobody understands us nobody loves us because within us there is ingrained this seeking for perfect love and this seeking presupposes the existence of perfect love it is this in us this the godhead small and marred passenger from life to life from birth to birth this bodily appearance is not all it deep in man celestial powers can dwell artist of his own beauty and delight this fiery portion of the wonderful immortal in our mortal poverty this that must be brought out into the forefront this must become the leader of a life rather than the ego it is this which connects the individual to the universe because when we begin to live in the psychic being we begin to live in a truth which is present everywhere we stop regarding people as you know being belonging to this group or that group or this cult or that cult or this religion or that religion we see how the divine is working in everyone to this extent as shrobindo says my rivals downfall is my own disgrace i look at my enemy and see krishna's face we can go to that state where because actually this is the key that connects the individual to the universal this is the key because it's the divine presence it is the uh, outermost covering of the divine presence within so it immediately connects us the moment we touch the psychic we begin to feel that interconnectedness of life it's not something mental it's not something we have to think and imagine spontaneously when we our feet is about to step on a flower it's not the mind which tells us oh no you're not supposed to do it it's a do's and don'ts list there is something which spontaneously tells us no 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 gently this is living this is imminent with the divine presence inside this is the sense which begins to awake the more we get close to a psychic it connects the point of time to the eternity as shobindo says at last the traveler on the paths of time arrives on the borders of eternity and what happens then in his transient mold in the transient symbol of humanity draped he feels the substance of his undying self that one begins to feel and one is no more afraid of death that's one of the things which very naturally happens a little contact with the psyche frees us immensely from the fear of death because we know that well death is an unreality it's a passage doom is a passage for our, our inborn force death the passport to immortality these things no more remain mere words there are no more things which you know we have to remember and people have told us they become the very natural way of being because the psyche tells us it has that knowledge spontaneously it's like when we live in the mind we don't have to make an effort to think a chimpanzee has to make an effort to think 
And well, even with all the efforts, you know, there have been studies that you know chimpanzees have been trained to think. And in circuses, we often find you know dogs doing mathematics. So you you know the the ringleader tells the dog two, and the dog you know picks up the number two and puts it. The sign of plus, and he picks up plus. Another four, so he picks up four. Equal to, and then he picks up six and puts it there. Now this we have been doing for centuries. Shobindo is not interested in teaching mathematics to dogs. He wants to make dogs into a human being. Similarly, he is not interested in repeating that same story. It's not that when we go in trance in some abnormal states that we have some touch of that glory by piercing through a little point, as the mother says. Well, in the old yogas, your aspiration could pierce a little point of hole through this giant lid of ignorance, pass beyond, feel a little touch, take a little air, breathe the lovely air of Milla, and get back to New York City, and then talk about it. It doesn't change you. These experiences don't change us. They help us, no doubt. They enrich the consciousness. What Sri Aurobindo says is no. That's not the thing which we want to do. This little point or this little hole. We want that to come here, so that man by nature undergoes this change. By his nature, evil and darkness and ignorance becomes impossible to him. He doesn't have to be taught. He doesn't have to sit cross-legged, rigid-spined in certain, you know. Technical postures to concentrate here and there, and then feel ah, now I am in touch with God. Because that's his divinity is his very nature. He must realize that he must he must live that very naturally. This is the great transition that Sri Aurobindo wants to make. It's not that people have not come in contact with divine earlier; they have, but it is not. It is one thing for the aspiration to climb beyond. A point from the heart go and pierce and touch the eternal. It's quite another that the a beam of the eternal smites our heart, and we are wrapped into eternity. Our thought stretches out into infinitudes. We all in us turns to spirit vastnesses. A giant supernature fills our life. This is the kind of transition that he speaks of, not a transition which is done in some. Silent corner of of a room, of a retreat, or any place, but a transition which is a very radical change of human nature, in which psychic is the first step. When we get in touch with the psyche, we no more make the mistake of regarding us ourselves as the body, life, and mind. These identities are there, but just like they are not identities, they are like the dress you wear. You don't identify yourself with the dress you wear, but you wear a dress. A dress may reflect. More closely your inner nature. That's fine, but it's not dress to which one clings to. So similarly, one doesn't cling to the identities of the body, life, and mind, because one has discovered the true identity, which is the same in all of us. It is being the child of the divine, a ray from the original parent sun. When we come in touch with our psyche, we feel a spontaneous knowledge flow through our hearts. It's a knowledge which straight away discriminates between truth and falsehood. One doesn't have to give a lot of analysis and reasoning. One knows because one sees. There's a beautiful story of somebody going to mother, 
and uh, you know this person was in charge of golconda and at that point of time one had to ask the mother to allow somebody permission to stay in golconda and as it happened the prince of uh, lanka uh, came and uh, told him that well i want to stay and he was very happy that you know here is a big prince a big man coming to stay he said yes yes it's all right but as a formality i have to ask the mother so he went and asked the mother and mother said no so now he was very taken aback because you know he has given a word to him so he says mother but i have you know given my word to him mother said i said no she says mother but you know he is prince of lanka when uh, once again mother said no he says mother why are you uh, saying no so mother puts a little you know pressure on his belly and says oh you want to test the divine so he goes back he goes back crestfallen and as he is coming out of the ashram gate there is another person who is coming in who happened to be a retired judge in one of the high courts and looking at the prince of lanka he asked this man what is this fellow this scoundrel doing here he says no no you are mistaken this is not a scoundrel he is the prince of lanka he says don't be a fool he has been convicted thrice by in my own court it's a very different knowledge it's a very direct knowledge it's a direct perception of truth infallible that is the kind of consciousness when the psychic awakens we have true love and bhakti for god or the guru then we don't hesitate in losing our so called precious individuality oh this is so sacred to me how can i lose it how can i worship somebody who looks so much like me how can i surrender myself to someone who is so much like me because we see beyond the form we see the truth that inhabits the form we see the consciousness that is born behind the form and therefore we can freely give ourselves without hesitation without questioning without reasoning and because we can give freely we can receive freely because that is a secret of receiving the so called supernature the more we hold on tightly to our own nature the less we receive the more we give our thoughts our feelings our will our activities our energisms our dynamisms even our sensations our bodily movements our postures and gestures the more we give the more we receive because giving makes us wide and when we stop giving we become narrow and narrow and narrow this is very natural to the psyche when we touch the psychic being these things begin to happen a wide universality and then we see that our true individuality and true identity is in being a part and portion a part and parcel a portion of the light divine something that the divine does through this individuality and he does through each and every individuality that the true individuality and it is he whose place there it's today i am on this side tomorrow i may be on other side and even somebody who so called contradicts me whom yet i must fight if that be the purpose if that be the will in me yet it is a it is a beautiful play it is holiday of a fight the divine within him is wrestling with the divine within me for the joy and ananda of the fight it's a consciousness very difficult for the mind to even conceive but a little touch of it can be understood when we watch when we actually watch a game 
a game, a, 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 a good game of football looks as if, you know, these two teams are really fighting tooth and nail with each other. But what they are really doing, they are enjoying the joy of the play. And at the end, and they must do well. It's not that they, they shouldn't do well. So when this consciousness begins to awaken, it's not that, you know, it's all fine from now on. I, I am not going to, I'll just be very peaceful and quiet and retreat into a hermitage. No, I may be engaged in a battle if that be the will. Yet, I would know that this fight is a holiday of fight for it is bodies that die, the soul is imperishable. And it goes through this journey. It's a journey of the eternaliness. We are truly free from all care and worries because in everyone we see that it's the journey of the eternal. This is the first transition and a very radical one because it, again, it connects the link of cause and effects. Sri says two things. The soul in us is the master of our fate and there is a freedom in each face of fate. When we start to live in the soul, then tragedies and doom begin to have a very different meaning for us. We begin to see what the great Rishi writes when he says, arisen from the tragic crash of life and from the bitterness of death and fall, an outstretched hand is felt upon our lives. And he goes on to say that the spirit rises mightier with each defeat. Its godlike wings grow wide with every fall. Although the shaping God's tremendous touch is torture unbearable to mortal nerves, there is a joy in each pang, in each, in every titan pang. Because it knows that it is no more a suffering which is coming to me because of some karma or something which I have done, you know, a kind of guilt-ridden life that we have come to lead. Or, you know, the other kind of life, which is even worse, is very difficult to say which is better. But when we begin to live in the soul, then when something smites us, we say, Oh, thank you, Mother Kali have released me from those bonds which I couldn't release myself. It's a very nice, beautiful story of a Mughal empress. I think she was wife of uh, the second, second emperor, Babar son. Ajahangi, the Babar son. And uh, it said that she was a very erudite and awakened woman in her own right. And she had a very beautiful uh, glass mirror which was imported from Japan. And importing a mirror from, uh, from China, it's a big thing because nowadays, of course, everything is fabricated. But in those days, we can imagine. And every morning she would uh, sit there and like all of us, spend time combing her hairs and one day she asked for the mirror and while the, um, the lady who was bringing it, the maid, uh, she was cleaning the mirror and, you know, adjusting it and the mirror fell down and broke. This maid was very disturbed. She was, she felt very helpless. She felt today is the last day of my life because the empress is going to get angry and in wrath she is going to banish me or uh, do something disastrous yet with uh, with all fear, stricken with fear, she comes and says, O oh Queen, that beautiful mirror from China that has been dropped and it's gone. And she awaits, head hanging with fear. And the Queen says, Very well done. <laughs> Very well done. That which I was using every day to just 
enjoy my physical self that which i was using as an instrument to reinforce my physical self that has been gone very well done this is the kind of uh, consciousness in which we begin to awaken is it not something so beautiful why do we spend so much time sometimes i wonder in trying to analyze and you know do all these things when this consciousness is so readily accessible by sheer gift of grace it can be received a vast surrender was his only strength when we give ourselves with enthusiasm and cheerfulness and gratitude to the divine this consciousness begins to awaken very naturally it is not something if we may question all our life whether there is a soul or not and at the end of it as shubhendra says it says fine intellectual development is very good and if it can surrender it becomes a very beautiful and powerful instrument having said that he also says that but it's not enough because at the end we may find that after we have read and talked everything about god we have really known nothing about him so that would be the irony out of thought we must leave up to we must leap up to sight that is the next transition at present thought of course uh, we have uh, very nice lecture by anuradha so we'll not talk about the transition from thought to sight and how thought leaps beyond itself and melts into sight and there is no more the need of this complex process this maze like thing which we hug and strengthen reinforce with every book with so much of information with all kinds of references the more the references the more authentic the book even if you know it's like a certified ignorance it's it's like democracy you know so we have democratic people so it's the rule of the average the more number of references you have the more authentic it's like just because there are many it's true this is a fallacy we have to come out of that and quieten ourselves and the more we quieten well it is there within us it's not something which we have to struggle the more we quieten it begins to come out all that denies must be torn out and slain and crush the many longings for whose sake we lose the one for whom our lives are made this is the transition and when we do that something else begins to happen the next step from the psychic to the spiritual and there again a beam of the eternal smites our heart all in us turns to spirits vastnesses we drink from the breast of the mother of the worlds a giant supernature fills a vast supernature fills our life it spontaneously begins to pour in we don't realize sometimes what a big barrier thought creates between this great descent spontaneously a perfect oneness a dynamic power descend within the integral godhead seal we speak the word integral and sometimes i mean i it's my feeling that we speak it very very loosely integral is not only about mind body life and soul there is something more than the soul there is something more than the mind there is so much more what is that integral godhead that vision which shubhendra brings in what sense is using the word integral not just a combination of these is 
the integral Godhead. So far we have seen the divine only as knowledge which liberates us. But there is that other aspect of the divine, the power, the Shakti, the mother consciousness which descends and transforms a living oneness, a flame white love, a bliss, a power, a flame white love, widened at its core, caught all into its soul immense embrace. This is the kind of next step which begins to happen as we grow in this transition. And as these things happen repeatedly again and again, then her eyes look through, our, through his eyes. Her face is seen in his face. Thus, man becomes the overt divine. This is the divine whom we are, but we begin to become. The more we surrender this, uh, this kind of ignorance at the feet of the divine or place it at the heart of the divine, at his altar as a sacrifice, then this begin to, we begin to change and the great transition becomes possible. And what happens within at that point of time? What happens to our will, our dynamism? Because people are always worried that I will do nothing after that. What will happen? I am very worried. I am very afraid. Because after, you know, if one has abandoned this kind of an individual will, which is all the time struggling, actually it is being pushed and moved by the whiplash of desire. We don't realize it. We think it's a personal will. We don't even have a personal will. Our will is loaned out or our will is surrendered to the impulses and desires swinging from this side, from that side. But what happens to that will inside when the transition is taking place or when the transition takes place, only he longed to bring her presence and her power into his life and mind and breathing frame. Only he longed to call forever down her healing touch of joy into this darkness and life, his soul was freed and given to her alone. This is the transition that we have to undertake. This is the bridge we have to walk. We don't have to build the bridge. Sometimes we really feel very great that we have to build some bridges. Bridge has been built. We have to become the flame child because it's a bridge of fire. There's this very interesting story with sometimes is very grossly misinterpreted in the Indian scripture. It's when Rama wins the war and the great Sita has to come back to him from the clutches of Ravana. Now, you know, modern feminism, poor lady, she has to pass on fire. How he could do this? And really, it is understandable how he could do this. That's not fair of him. Making her walk on fire? What a cruel husband! But when we look at the symbol, it's such a beautiful symbol. Sita is the nature. Of course, one could go back into the story, but I don't want to go in. Supernature hiding herself and becomes this ordinary nature, which is there in the story originally. Rama is the Lord, and this nature is in the clutches of the demon king. It's like our own nature in the clutches of the Asuric forces of the darkness of the ignorance and it has to walk to the Lord that is the human journey that is a transition how will it work what is the test that is the test of fire we have to pass through this fire 
What can pass through fire? The flame child. It is only that flame that can pass through fire without being burnt, without being hurt. It is the test of fire. It is that crucible which will decide whether we are ready for the transition or not. We may have written number of books. We may have given number of lectures like, you know, I am giving one here and maybe earlier. But none of these things will count. In the end, what counts is whether we are pure within to receive the light, whether we are wide within to receive the ananda, whether we are strong and capable for the play of the Leela of the Supreme. Thank you.